Hello, hello. You're listening to the Bitcoin Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Andy. And if you're new here, welcome. This is a show where we discuss Bitcoin on a weekly basis. This is the show that I wish I had when I first got into Bitcoin, which is why I started this podcast. This is your one-stop shop of complex topics in the wonderful world of Bitcoin, explained in simple ways. As a reminder, this show is available on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, and a whole bunch of other platforms. So wherever you might be listening from, if you like the show, be sure to follow and subscribe. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash the BTC advocate. Today's episode is sponsored by myself. More specifically, I have a book about Bitcoin called Hyper Bitcoinization, a story about a revolution. And if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a link down below in the description for that book. Otherwise, you can search for the title on Amazon and it should be the first result. It's not selling out if it's my own product. Last week, we talked about Bitcoin storage. In particular, the technology that is hierarchical deterministic wallets, which includes all the wallets that use a seed phrase, whether it be a hardware wallet like a ledger or a treasure key, uh, or an app on your computer or mobile device. This week, we're delving deeper into keeping your Bitcoin secure and away from the itchy hands of hackers and fraudsters who are always looking for ways to separate you from your hard-earned Bitcoin. Specifically, uh, we'll try to categorize the different types of threats, and I'll give you an example of it, and then we'll discuss the best way to mitigate that threat. Okay, ready? Let's jump in. Uh, so last week, we already talked briefly about internal threats. So just to quickly recap, this is when you are your own biggest enemy. This is when you, as the Bitcoiner, do something dumb, like keep only one copy of your seed phrase, which isn't properly protected. Uh, for example, you write it on a piece of paper and then you end up misplacing that piece of paper uh, or you drop it in water or it gets exposed to fire damage or whatever. Uh, so that is definitely a risk of losing the seed phrase if you only have one copy. So I always recommend you have at least two and you separate the, those two so that they're not in the same geographic location. So if your house burns down in a fire, you still have another copy uh, in your seed phrase somewhere else. Uh, or even if you put it in, let's say, a bank security box, you know, the bank could burn down, right? Or there could be a hurricane or flood that destroys that uh, security box. So uh, you always want to keep two copies at least, and maybe even three, right? And separate them geographically. Uh, also, keep in mind that some people, in an effort to feel ultra secure, uh, they devise some complicated seed phrase storage scheme uh, where you split up your seed phrase into multiple parts uh, and you come up with this plan to try and confuse would-be house robbers. Like you put a part of the seed phrase in your favorite book and then another part somewhere else. But the issue with that, though, is that you yourself end up forgetting exactly how your storage solution goes. Uh, so you end up risking losing your seed phrase. Uh, so we already talked about these scenarios in the last episode in detail, though, so I won't repeat everything again here. Uh, but please check back to the previous episode if that's uh, a topic that interests you. Today, I do want to talk about external threats, uh, meaning that there is a malicious third-party agent that is trying to gain access to your Bitcoin. The most common of such examples are phishing attacks, and that's phishing with PH. Uh, so on this show, I always advocate for people to hold their own Bitcoin in their own hardware wallet. 
However, I understand that that is especially hard for beginners and older people. Uh, you're probably used to having an account online somewhere at a reputable company um, where you store your funds rather than holding everything yourself. So when you first get into Bitcoin, it might be a big ask to convince you to go out and buy a hardware wallet uh, that can cost somewhere uh, in the $50, $100 or even more uh, sort of range. Uh, so trust me, I get it. I won't hold it against you too much if you prefer to just keep your Bitcoin on Coinbase or some other reputable uh, company uh, with the keyword being reputable. Uh, however, by doing so, even if it is a reputable company, you are exposing yourself to some risks that you wouldn't be exposing yourself to if you held your Bitcoin in a wallet that you control. So just keep that in mind. Uh, in case you've been living in the Stone Age and you don't know what phishing is, phishing is when an attacker sends you an email or reaches out to you in some way and pretends that they're someone else uh, and or say things that are not true in an attempt to get you to reveal your password or send them Bitcoin or some other digital asset or do something, right? Uh, so for example, you receive an email from Coinbase quote-unquote Coinbase, uh, saying that your account has been compromised and that you need to verify your account. Uh, so in reality, often these emails are fake. Uh, and by clicking the link to follow it, it leads you to a fake website that is designed to look exactly like the real website. And if you're not careful, you enter in your password and that info would get passed on to the attacker who can now uh, log into your account because they now know what your password is. Uh, and then they can steal your funds and also change your password to lock you out. Uh, so how do we mitigate against this threat? Uh, so number one, always visually inspect the email itself. Oftentimes, scammers will register a similar looking URL. So instead of coinbase.com, it might be coinbase-exchange-wallet-something.com, right? So if the sender address looks suspicious, uh, then that is a red flag. Uh, within the email, look for grammatical errors. A lot of these times, the hackers are located in foreign countries where English might not be their first language, uh, and they might have written the email using bad translator software. Uh, sometimes you'll also find that these emails would open with hello user or dear client instead of using your name because they might not know your name. Uh, they might just be mass sending these emails. Although with that being said, these attacks are getting more sophisticated. So even if they know your name, uh, that's not necessarily a green flag. Uh, but not knowing your name is definitely a red flag because usually companies will go the extra mile and be like, you know, hi, Andy or hi, whatever your name is, right? Uh, the best practice is also to just never click on the links in the email itself, even if it's a legitimate email, just to be safe, right? Uh, if you can't find any obvious red flags and is worried that there's actually a problem in your account, uh, close the email and then go to the actual website separately. Uh, it is also a good idea to use a hardware key. And no, I'm not talking about a hardware wallet like I have been for the past, you know, episode or so. Uh, this time I'm talking about a hardware security key. With a hardware security key, if anyone tries to log in from an unrecognized device for the first time, they would have to not only type in the password, but also plug in this physical security key to the computer. Uh, and it, some of them work with mobile devices as well. So some of them has what's called NFC technology. It's the same technology that you use when you tap to pay with a credit card. Uh, so yeah, it has a little chip inside that you can 
um, put next to your phone and it'll register uh, that security key. So you don't actually have to plug it in if the port is not the same. A security key is really helpful because uh, it requires physical access to the key before uh, a person can log into the account. Uh, so it's way more secure than using other forms of two-factor authentication, such as SMS text messaging. Uh, so recently, there have been a spike of this type of attack called uh, simjacking. So a simjacking attack is when an attacker calls your telecom company and pretends to be you. And then uh, they manage to convince the rep on the phone to change your phone number to a SIM card uh, that the attacker controls. Uh, so if successful, the attacker would now receive your SMS text message, uh, which means that they would receive your codes. Uh, so a hardware key is, again, more secure uh, because it requires physical access and is even more secure than uh, the codes that are generated by authenticator apps. Uh, since the hardware key is designed to communicate directly with the legitimate server of the real website that you're trying to log into in an encrypted way. Uh, so this means that theoretically, an attacker would not be able to fish you since the server on the real website would not recognize a login attempt on the attacker side since they do not have your hardware keys encrypted code. Although with this being said, authenticator apps are still very secure and you should use one if you just don't wanna go out and buy a security key. Uh, or even SMS, right? I know people say that SMS is not secure and don't use it, but if your choices are not having two-factor authentication or having two-factor authentication with SMS, you should choose having two-factor authentication with SMS. In general though, to mitigate phishing attacks, all that's needed for you to do so is to be vigilant and skeptical of emails, text messages, or links that uh, come your way. Uh, sometimes, though, phishing attempts can be even more sophisticated than an email, however. A creative spin that some scammers have used to try and trick people involve YouTube live streams. Uh, so usually a channel will be created that has a few thousand fake subscribers, uh, basically almost all of them being bots. Uh, the scammer will run a live stream that consists of a famous person speaking uh, about something Bitcoin or crypto related. Uh, often these are unrelated and random interviews that that famous person has done in the past. Uh, so, you know, a few famous people that I've seen being impersonated this way include Elon Musk uh, and Kathy Wood, who's the uh, chief investment officer of ARK Invest. These scammers will claim that the celebrity is giving away free Bitcoin or some crypto uh, as part of an event. And all you need to do is send them some of the crypto or Bitcoin, and they will send you back double the amount. Of course, in reality, this is a scam. Nothing will be sent back. Uh, and sometimes the hackers will also try to compromise a major channel that already has a ton of subscribers and then turn the channel into a crypto scam channel. Uh, so this makes them seem more legitimate since it looks like the live stream is coming from a big channel with lots and lots of subscribers. Uh, so this exact scenario happened to the channel Linus Tech Tips in April of 2023, which if you don't know, Linus Tech Tips is one of the biggest tech channels on YouTube. So yeah, if it happens to Linus, then it can happen to pretty much anybody. The way to mitigate this threat is to recognize that no one will ever double your crypto or your Bitcoin for free. 
Uh, so, you know, it, it plays into the greed of people, right? Everyone wants to get something for nothing, but there's no such good deals in life. There's no such good deals where you send somebody Bitcoin and then they send you back double. Like that's always going to be a scam. Uh, and you should always also watch out for fake comments on finance related videos uh, of the commenter claiming that they know someone who is an expert trader who can make you gargantuan returns. Uh, these are 100% of the time scams with no exceptions. Uh, real financial advisors have a fiduciary duty, which is a legal term, um, and they're also professionally certified. They will never try to recruit new clients using the comment section of a YouTube video, right? That's just super unprofessional. Uh, a real financial advisor or a real trader will never do that. Uh, and if you see such live streams and scam comments, uh, be sure to report them to YouTube to have them taken down. I know you're not going to fall for them because you're being vigilant and you have good cybersecurity practices. However, you never know a beginner might come along and fall for these scams, right? Uh, and I know it takes a little bit of time to, you know, have to fill in the report form and stuff. Um, but, you know, please do so. I always report those when I see it. Next up, we have malware attacks. So this one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, don't download or run any programs whose origins are unknown, right? If you like to torrent files, and please note that I do not condone piracy, uh, but I have to acknowledge the fact that torrenting files is a thing that people do, right? And if you do decide to do that thing, you may not want to use the same computer for torrenting stuff as you do for your Bitcoin slash crypto stuff. Uh, even though theoretically hardware wallets are designed such that even if you plug one into a computer infested with malware, the wallet's firmware is not designed to be sophisticated enough to actually run a virus uh, and your private key is designed to never leave the device itself. Uh, so again, theoretically, you should still be safe even if that happens, even if you have a hardware key, which is why I advocate everyone get a hardware key again. Uh, but anyways, uh, with that being said, though, however, uh, I still would not take the chance and would recommend that you just keep your computer free from malware in the first place. Uh, one particularly insidious class of malware is called ransomware. Uh, ransomware describes a type of malware that encrypts a user's device with the purpose of extorting money from the victim in exchange for decrypting the device. Uh, so it's often too late to do anything about ransomware once it has already affected a person's device. Uh, therefore, steps must be taken to prevent ransomware from being able to compromise a device in the first place. Uh, so there are other forms of malware specifically designed against holders of digital assets like Bitcoin or other cryptos. And this class of malware is called clipboard jackers. Uh, so these are viruses that are designed to detect when a user has copied a crypto address onto their computer's clipboard. And it replaces that crypto address with uh, that of an attacker's address that they control. Uh, so it is always also advised to double check a crypto address before sending crypto transactions, uh, even if you know you just copied and pasted it because, uh, you know, the clipboard can get hacked uh, if you have a piece of malware installed on your computer. Yeah, I'm saying crypto specifically on purpose, even though I know this is a Bitcoin only show, but I'm saying crypto because this does apply to other digital assets other than just Bitcoin. So this applies to everything. Uh, anyways, moving on, 
Uh, the most explicit and obvious threat, though, to a Bitcoin holder include physical threats or threats of physical harm to a Bitcoin holder unless they agree to give up their keys to an attacker. Uh, so this is dubbed the $5 wrench attack because it's an attack that can be performed with minimal cost and expertise, uh, i.e. using a wrench that costs $5, right? So literally you just, you get robbed at gunpoint or, or knife point or something. And this is the oldest trick in the book, literally, right? There's no technology needed, uh, but the difference is that Bitcoin holders should recognize that Bitcoin when it's self-custodied is inherently different than money sitting in a bank account, right? So with self-custodied Bitcoin, there are no third parties that can secure your wealth on your behalf uh, when you put it into an address that you control. Uh, and whoever holds the private keys is the true owner. So to avoid being a target of a $5 wrench attack, Bitcoiners should avoid publicizing exactly how much Bitcoin they hold. Uh, further, Bitcoiners should exercise extra caution when traveling with their wallet or seed phrase or doing transactions that involve physically going to a location to meet a buyer or seller that they've never met. Uh, so this has been an issue in the past, right? So I know some people, they like to do it really like true peer-to-peer, -peer, meaning that they meet up with a person or uh, directly transact in Bitcoin with a person that they don't know. This could be done for many reasons. Uh, the most common reason is that you want to obtain KYC free Bitcoin, right? KYC means know your customer. Uh, so if you buy it from an exchange where you have to type your name into it, then the exchange knows that that wallet address will belong to you because you're buying Bitcoin from that exchange and you're sending it to your own address, right? Um, but if you're just transacting with someone that you don't know, uh, then that's like truly anonymous, right? Uh, so I understand the need for peer-to-peer -peer or true peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin transactions. However, just be careful when you're doing so uh, because you are meeting with someone that you don't know. Uh, so be sure to pick a neutral ground. So be sure to pick somewhere preferably public, right? Like a coffee shop or something such that uh, you're less likely to just get robbed or something. Anyways, I think that wraps it up for this week. I know it's a little bit of a shorter episode this week, uh, but don't let the length of this episode fool you. Uh, the content I presented here in this episode, in my opinion, is very important. And I know seasoned Bitcoiners are among some of the most skeptical people I know. Uh, so if you've been in this space for a while, I'm sure you already know a lot of the things that I mentioned. Uh, and you already know how to stay on guard and stay vigilant against uh, scams and uh, trickery and all this stuff. However, I keep hearing about people losing their Bitcoin. And often, of course, it's from people who are new to this space, right? Who doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. And I'd hate for beginners to get scammed and robbed of their Bitcoin uh, because that will definitely leave a bad taste in their mouth and prevent them from endorsing Bitcoin. They're going to have a bad experience and they're, that's going to be a stumbling block for them to adopting Bitcoin, right? Uh, and as a community, I think we should be more understanding and accommodate beginners as much as we can uh, because Bitcoin is truly for everyone. And the more people adopt it, the higher the chance that we can maybe finally fix our broken economic system that was created by our fiat monetary system. Uh, anyways, that's it for this week. 
Next week, we'll mix it up a bit and do a historical piece. We're going to delve into the history of Bitcoin and explore the topic of Bitcoin's mysterious founder, Satoshi Nakamoto. That will be an exciting one. So stay tuned for that for next week. For now, thank you for listening. I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.